Hey, welcome to the Fusion ATL podcast. This is Pastor Vance. If you're not familiar with Fusion, we are the young adult ministry for Victory World Church in Norcross, Georgia. We meet every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at Fusion ATL. I hope you enjoy this message and we look forward to seeing you soon. What's up, Fusion? Hey, it is good to see you guys, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. Man, we are continuing our series on authentic relationships. Uh, We started this a few weeks ago talking about having an authentic relationship with God. Uh, And then our pastor, Chad, from uh, the Victory Hamilton Mill campus came and uh, shared a message with us on the Bible, which was super powerful. And now we're going to continue in this series specifically about authentic relationships. And as I mentioned, the heart behind this series is... I mean, just what it sounds like, not just having relationships, but having healthy, real, authentic relationships, first and foremost with God and then with the people around us. How many of us know it's God's heart for us to have healthy relationships? It's God's heart for you to have healthy relationships. And the first relationship that he wants to be healthy and authentic is your relationship with him. He wants to have a real relationship with you. And I mean, I, I think sometimes we can take it for granted, but the God of the universe, the God who created us, he really wants a relationship with each and every one of us on an individual level. Like He wants to walk beside us, speak to us, guide us. He is everything that we need. He sent his son to die for our sins so that we could be forgiven, washed clean, so that we could be holy and blameless before him, so that we can walk upright and guilt-free with him. And then Jesus ascended into heaven and then sent the Holy Spirit. All three of them are God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus ascends to heaven, sends the Holy Spirit so that he could walk alongside each and every one of us. This is the the genius of God, the master plan of God to send his spirit because Jesus came in human form and Jesus in human form can't walk alongside 8 billion people. But the Holy Spirit, he sent so that he would dwell within us when we come to faith in Jesus Christ and that we could have, so that we could have an authentic relationship with him. This is what separates uh, followers of Christ from every other philosophy, religion, worldview on the planet is the fact that our God is actually alive. He's not just an idea, not just a fairy tale, but someone we can have an authentic relationship with. And that is really what separates us. If, If you look at any other worldview, any other philosophy, there is no opportunity for relationship. There is nothing that speaks back to you except your own thoughts. (laughs) But the spirit of the living God desires to dwell within us and be everything that we need, fill us with power and authority to walk in the way that he designed us to walk because he created us in his own image and likeness. And the plan was always for us to be close with him. But the issue that we faced ever since Adam and Eve ate of the tree, has anybody heard the story where Adam and Eve eat from a tree and sin and fall away from God? Are most of us familiar with that? The dawn of humanity, 
the first human beings that God created in his image, in his likeness, they rebelled against him, sinned against him, and caused all that curse that came upon them to go throughout their entire bloodline right into us. This is why Jesus Christ came and redeemed us so that we could have a relationship with him. But the issue that we faced ever since that fall is sin and an environment of sin. And so as I've been praying through this, thinking through this, uh, it's been a really heavy past, especially few days for me. And I feel like it, it, it all boils down to this one question that, that I've been asking because, man, I love Jesus. I have a great relationship with Jesus. And it's my desire that everyone would. But I understand that the environment that we're in makes it very difficult for people to come to Jesus. And so the question is, man, how can we have an authentic relationship with God in this environment? In an environment where most of the world sees the gospel, sees the word of God, the ideas of God, the truth of God as foolishness as a poor way to live life, as a not free way to live life, as an old fashioned way to live life. So how do we follow Jesus? Because this is, this is ultimately what we're here to do. Maybe, maybe some of you are not here to do that. And hey, that is fine. But the reason that we come here is to follow Jesus and the way of Jesus Christ. Jesus says he's the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him, that he is the way. And the way that we get to the Father is by following Jesus, following in his footsteps, following his lifestyle, following everything that he teaches. And yet it's completely contrary to everything that the world tells us to do. And so, man, how do we do this? in a world that just goes against the grain of everything. Has anybody found that following Jesus doesn't perfectly line up with the way that the world does things? Have you realized that yet? Maybe some of you guys have been on the fence about following Jesus because it's so contrary to the way that the rest of the world operates. And what I found about human nature is we typically feel like what most people are doing is the right thing to do. What the majority of people are doing, typically it's the norm, it's normal, and at some point we start feeling like that's the way that we're supposed to do things. I wanna ask you, have you found that in your own life? Attention to do what everybody else is doing, and I mean, you know, we've heard this since being children, you know, that you don't have to be like everybody else, right? If, if your friend was jumping off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff? You know, but it's the tension that we face. Has anybody found that? Scrolling through social media, trends take place, and we all just seem to kind of gravitate towards them. I want to speak to some of us who have felt ourselves pulled toward the trends, pulled toward the norm, and just give an invitation and a reminder that we all need all the time, myself included, we are human beings, a reminder that Jesus is the way, 
And life with him is going to look very different. And uh, I was reading in 1 Kings, because this, as I mentioned, this has been the issue for all of our time of existence since the fall into sin. This has been the issue. And so we can look back thousands of years and see in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 16, we see an environment that I don't feel like is too different from our own. And so if you will turn to 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 29 through 33, we'll read about a king named Ahab. It says, in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. Now Israel is God's chosen people, God's chosen city. This is, the, this is the people that he's reserved for himself, that he's revealed himself to as the one and true living God. He has caused them to conquer armies and protected them. Uh, he's displayed himself as the living God and has devoted himself to them and has called them to devote themselves to him. And this is what's happening in God's city. It says, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, son of, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. To put some context to that, it says that he considered the sins of Jeroboam to be trivial. Now, a little earlier in this book of the Bible, which is just chronicling the different kings of Israel and Judah, and that's why it's being so specific. This person was the son of this person, and they reigned for this long. Why? Because it's true. This is history, right? And this is God documenting history, especially in Israel and Judah. This is his chosen people. And Jeroboam is mentioned 21 times as a person who caused all of Israel to sin. Now imagine if your legacy, like you were mentioned 21 times in one book of the Bible, specifically about how much you caused other people to sin. Then he's saying Ahab considered that guy's sins no big deal. It's just trivial. Like that was light work. (laughs) This is what we're dealing with. And this is the person who was king over Israel. Says that he also married Jezebel. Has anybody ever heard that name? Most of us know that it was just bad. And began to serve Baal and worship him. So you're talking about the king of God's city. This is, this is the place that King David was king over, right? This is God's city, God's people. Before David was Saul and before Saul, God himself was the king of Israel. And now it comes to a place where this guy is serving Baal, this other God, and the practices of serving this God and worshiping him are horrendous, terrible. It says he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole, which is another form of worshiping another God. 
and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. And just to give some context to that, when they, when they were worshiping these other gods, it wasn't just like they were going and like, going like this to like worship other gods. The practices were terrible, sacrificing their children. Literally, like this is what's taking place. And so when you are, when you see that the worship of these other gods arouse the anger of the Lord, you can see why. Imagine if God is watching his people sacrifice their children to another God. And this is what's taking place. And God is deeply grieved by what is taking place. And he's jealous for his people, just like God is jealous for all of us. And he wants us to himself because he loves us. Imagine God watching his people just go into all types of sin and rebellion and not know him. And yet he's here waiting for them, loving them, wanting relationship with them, continuously extending himself to them, wanting an authentic relationship with them. Again, not just asking him and not just asking them to do some rules and regulations, but revealing himself, making himself known so they know that God is alive and is real and is really their God. And yet they're still drawn into what's normal, even when it's the darkest and most vile of things. And I bring this up because I feel like it's just similar to what most of our world looks like right now. Most of our world is not trying to live in the way that Jesus Christ lived. And I think that we have to be real about this because uh, I think that a lot of us, man, we can go through life on the fence. And there's just not much space. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the way that the world is trending and the way that society is going, there's becoming less and less space for like gray area Christianity. This idea of Christianity has become so marred in most people's eyes of what it is to where half the people don't even, who follow Jesus don't even want to use the term Christian anymore because it has this context to it and these ideas to it because it's become so embedded in our culture and we've seen people misuse it. And all these things have been taking place. And the idea of Christianity is just a mess in our culture. Some people follow Jesus way different than other people. And it's like, are you even following Jesus? And they're like, are you even following Jesus? And it's just this big mess. But I truly believe that God wants to clarify things, that what we're seeing is really just the beginning of a refining process and a purification process. And even, you know, those of us who feel like, man, you know, we want America to be a, America to be a Christian nation. Uh, I think that we are going to have to wake up to the reality that America is not a Christian nation that there's really no such thing as a Christian nation, but there is the church and there are Christian people that can affect and impact the nation. But we're not a Christian nation. I don't know if you guys have noticed that yet. But our, our nation is looking more and more and more like Israel started looking when it was taken over by someone who was blatantly sinning against God and disdaining the things of God. And I'm not talking, I'm, this is not a slight to our newest president. I'm talking about as far back as I can remember. We haven't had, we haven't had uh, Jesus running the nation. So I'm not even talking about our current president. I'm talking about previous, 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 previous. We haven't had 
an actual Christian leader. And so our nation, I don't know if you've realized, but our nation and the world is continuing to go in the direction that Jesus said it would go. He never said that the world is going to become more and more like me. He said, be careful when all men like you. He said, let that, let that worry you when all men actually like you. He actually said, they'll hate you because of me. Why? Because they hated me. And he said, the student is not better than the teacher. And so as disciples of Jesus, we can expect that our life is to look different. And so what we see in this story is it starts as Ahab running Israel, but God is still on the throne at the end of the day, and God has a plan. And when God has a plan, God starts using people. And so even though there's a mess going on, God has a plan, and God starts using a person. And his name is Elijah. And in the next chapter, it says, now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab. Now this is a guy who goes to the king. Now this king who's violent and vile, and this guy goes to the king and says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And so God starts this plan in motion And the end result of this plan is to ultimately display that he's the real God. Because what it ends up going to is Elijah says, hey, there's not going to be any rain. And God said so. And so for the next three years, it doesn't rain at all. Not a drop, which was a really big deal. And so uh, he said, except by my word. And so at the end of these three years, All this stuff happens where there's this showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and God sends fire down from heaven to show that he's the real God, and then he sends rain. But before all that happens, he just starts using a person and being in relationship with a person. And I want us to look at the relationship between Elijah and the Lord, because we can easily look at what takes place on Mount Carmel and we can, you know, want to be the person who, who succeeds for God and accomplishes things and, you know, fulfills our purpose. And man, what would it be like to be, you know, uh, in a showdown, one person against 450 people who are worshiping these other God and they're going all crazy trying to get this God to respond. And then you call on your God and fire comes down from heaven. Oh my gosh, don't we all want a success story in our lives, to do something meaningful with our lives, to be like, yeah, I'm here for a reason. I did something big. I did this big thing. But I want us to take a look at what life actually looked like for this guy, because it was much more about relationship with God than just the big moment. And our society will continually push us toward success, toward these big moments, toward moments of significance, toward attention, toward trying to be somebody. And we can find ourselves pursuing Jesus and the way of Jesus the same way the world pursues all of their desires. And the two can't line up. 
And so even myself, I can read that story and be like, man, I want to be like Elijah. But I feel like when we look at the life of Elijah, there's way more to see than just a showdown where fire comes from heaven. It's about somebody who took a stand because they knew God. And I just want to pray for us in this moment. And I I want you to take a moment to even pray for yourself because, man, I I speak up here a lot. (laughs) And the question in my mind is always, you know, how much is this affecting our day-to-day lives? You know, how much is this affecting how close we get to Jesus? And my prayer is just that you guys are as hungry for an encounter with God and growth with God and to receive the daily bread that he gives us just as hungry for yourselves as I am for you because I really want you guys to come closer and closer to Jesus. I feel like this world is getting crazier and crazier and the only way that we are going to make it as followers of Christ is together and deeply rooted like deeply rooted as individuals and then deeply connected to each other. And that's why we're talking about this right now, first starting with getting deeply rooted with Christ, and then we're gonna start talking about our relationships with each other. But this is a huge deal. This is a huge deal. This isn't something that we can take casually or trivially. Our relationship with the God who created us means everything in life. And so there's a lot that we can learn through somebody else's relationship with him, especially one that he decided to document in his word. And I just want you to take a moment to pray for yourself to receive what God wants to speak to you tonight uh, and to actually make a connection there because there could be some distractions that have been taking place. There could be some questions in your heart, some doubts, some challenges that you're going through. And my prayer is that we are able to, to move past some of those things to get connected to what God is wanting to do in this moment. So let's pray. God, we just thank you for being here. Lord, I thank you for being here. Without you, all of this is meaningless, Lord. And I thank you that you are a God who hears our prayers. And you told us, Lord, to to pray in faith, Lord, and to not doubt because we can't expect to receive anything from you when we doubt. And so, Lord, we come to you with an expectation that you will respond tonight. Lord, we come to you with an expectation that you will speak. We come to you with an expectation that as we pursue you, like you said, when we seek you with all our heart, you will be found. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to each and every one of us. Lord, that you would illuminate our hearts, Lord, that you would give us enlightenment in our eyes, Lord, that we would be able to see who you are, that we would be able to see your love for us, that we would be able to see the beauty of your gospel and of all that you have for us, Lord, and of all you've called us to be, Lord, and that we would learn how to abide in you, how to walk with you and live with you, and that we would really understand how to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we see Elijah, and he says to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand. And that one just stuck out to me so much because it's one thing to maybe believe some stuff, but to really believe that I am standing before God even as I speak to you. That'll change your posture in life. That'll change your approach to life. How many of you go throughout life thinking, I'm standing before God as I do this. 
How many of you are in church right now thinking I'm standing before God? You are. We all are. And that's why scripture tells us that each and every one of us will have to give an account to God for all the things that we did in this body. So you've been given a body to steward, a life to steward, and you'll have to give an account for it. Why? Because every single thing that you do, say, think, you do before God. And that's beautiful when you're in relationship with him. It's terrifying when you're outside of relationship with him. Because in relationship with him, there's grace. The grace of God, where we understand that we're not perfect, but we endeavor to be. We endeavor to be like him, but we understand the grace. And this is why he's given us forgiveness of our sins. And we have the gift of repentance where we can turn to him. But those things only take place when we understand that we're standing before him. Man, if you could, (laughs) if you can go throughout the rest of your life in, in day to day, moment to moment, thinking I'm standing before God as I do this, it'll change your life. I'm standing before God as I have this conversation. I'm standing before God as I make this decision on whether to talk to this person or not, on how I speak to this person, on on how I engage with my family members. I'm standing before God as I engage with my spouse. I'm standing before God as I engage with my coworkers. I'm standing before God. And with that, if we live our lives understanding that we stand before God and if we have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ and we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, then point number one is an authentic relationship with Christ produces a life of holiness. And I know that that's a word that is not super appealing, but I use that specific word because you're going to see that word a lot when you're reading the Bible. And so I didn't try to find a word that was more relatable to you, but I want that to stand out because you're going to see that word a lot as you read the Bible. And it is the best word to describe what God actually wants for you. And it being holy just means being set apart and separate. An authentic relationship with Jesus Christ is going to produce a life of holiness, meaning following Jesus will make your life drastically different than the life of someone who does not follow Jesus. For Elijah, his life was so different. I mean, these, this is a people who are following idols, doing all types of different practices, very similar to our world. Have you found that what's normal in most people's lives is like a no, according to the Bible? Has anybody found that when you come to Christ, a lot of your habits, practices, ways of thinking, ways of operating no longer are okay? Anybody found that out? Following Jesus requires an entire life change. And following Jesus will make your life look totally different. When Jesus walked the earth, he was so different than the people around him. And not just in an arbitrary or meaningless way, but he walked with peace, with security, knowing his identity, Regardless of his circumstances, he walked with clarity of purpose. He wasn't questioning, man, who am I? What am I supposed to do with my life? Why am I even here? But he walked with a clarity and a certainty. And even though he went through challenges, persecution, trials, 
He had a peace that we all desire and long for. And that's really what God desires for all of us. And so even we'll see in the life of Elijah, man, his life was so different. As soon as God sends him to give this bold word to Ahab about what he's going to do, he starts changing some things. And Jesus actually said in John 17, as he's praying for his disciples, and Jesus Christ himself prayed for each and every one of us, I would encourage you guys to read John 17. It's one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. You're listening to the Son of God pray to the Father about you. And this is what he says in verses 15 through 16. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Meaning, man, God, I'm not asking that you remove them from this place. I'm asking that you keep them while they're in this place. And that's ultimately what what we're going to see take place with Elijah is God keeps him even in the midst of a crazy situation. But that's really God's desire for each and every one of us. Our life is supposed to look very, very different. We're we're just supposed to operate very differently. When you start reading the Bible and you see the commands of Jesus, I mean, he starts off his first like major sermon saying, blessed are the poor. Who thinks about that on a daily basis, right? But he starts off saying, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. This is countercultural. Imagine living your life saying, man, when I'm poor, I'm blessed. (laughs) When I mourn and grieve, I'm blessed because I'll be comforted. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? Where in most of our world, it's the people who, who wage war and exert power who seem to be blessed. But he said, blessed are the peacemakers. They will inherit the earth. The kingdom of God is theirs. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. This was revolutionary. It was different and it still is different and his word hasn't changed. But I want to ask us to really take inventory on our lives. And, And I have to do this as well because I've grown up in our culture as well. So there's still a ton of things that I feel like I have to navigate like, man, is this how I'm supposed to be living life? Or would Jesus maybe have me do something different? But if you're, if you're not asking that question, I would encourage you to start asking that question. Because as you read the Bible, a lot of us have challenges in reading the Bible, right? And maybe that's why we're not asking that question a lot. But as you start reading, and especially as you're reading the teachings of Jesus, they will challenge you. His own disciples who followed him day in and day out were confused half the time he was talking because it was so different than anything they had ever heard because he was calling them to a life That was holy. It was different, but it was out of an authentic relationship with him. It's going to produce holiness because you're hearing from God and God operates different than we operate. That's why he's called holy. He's just other. He's so different than anything that we understand or know or are. He's different. That's That's why we say you're worthy of it all. That song that we were singing, all the saints and angels bow before your throne. The elders, they cast their crowns and sing, worthy, worthy, you are worthy of it all. 
They're casting their crown before the Lamb of God. And all of this language, it comes from the Bible. And when you're new to it, it sounds totally different. But welcome to the culture of the kingdom. It's different. God is different. And God is preparing us for heaven where we actually gaze at the beauty of God and we're in awe of his holiness and just, oh my God, you're different than anything I've ever seen. You're amazing to the point that he gives people crowns and they just give the crowns back to him and say, you're worthy of it all. God is different. And we can have a, imagine this is the God who sits enthroned above the heavens and the earth, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the universe that's immeasurable. He created it. And he's the one who wants a relationship with us. Don't you think that once we start getting close to him and he starts rubbing off on us that our life is gonna look different? Have you found that the people that you're around affect how you live life? The people that you are around, that you surround yourself with, that you listen to, the the influencers that you listen to, the podcasters that you listen to, the music that you listen to, the friends that you're around, all of these influences, they will shape the way that you live your life. That's why it's important for us to take inventory on these things and say, okay, is my life being shaped to be like Jesus Christ? Like when I read about Jesus and then I look at my life, how close are our lifestyles? That's gonna be a challenging question to ask, but it's so important if, because we can't pretend that we're following Jesus. Going to church doesn't mean we're following Jesus. Following Jesus means we're following Jesus. Following in his footsteps and in his teachings means we're following him. And Jesus had a beautiful relationship with the Father and invited us into relationship with the Father. But we follow him when we do that, and it's going to make our life very different. And so as he says, we're not of the world. Our view of the world is going to be completely different than the rest of the world. It just makes sense because his view is totally different. And so in an authentic relationship with God, we live differently. We don't spend our time the way that the world does because we have a different value system. And so how we spend our time is gonna be different because if you're not in a relationship with God, spending time with God is not in your schedule. But if you are in a relationship with God, spending time with God, has to be a high priority. Like, how can you be friends with someone that you spend zero time with? You guys aren't friends. How can you be in a relationship with someone that you spend zero time with? You're not in a relationship. But in a relationship with God, you're going to spend your time differently. And this is one of the challenges that we have to navigate because there's gonna be so much demand. There's so much demand in our culture. Everything is demanding our attention. Finances are demanding your attention. Why? Because our society is shaped and designed to make you focus on desires and to always desire more. And so most of us on a day-to-day basis don't feel like we have everything that we need. 
And so then we spend our time pursuing the the desires that we have, not necessarily needs, but desires that we have. And I was reading a book uh, recently that just reminded me, man, as an American, sometimes we need like real reminders of our place in the world. Said that if you make more than $25,000 a year, you are in the top 10% of human beings on the planet. You're rich. Now, not all of us make that. But most people who make $25,000 don't feel rich. If you make more than $34,000, you are in the top 1% of people on the planet. Now, when you think about the 1%, how many of you guys have heard about the 1%? And we call the billionaires the 1%. No. Once you pass $34,000, not even $35,000, $34,000, you're in the 1% of people on the planet. And yet, 99% of people who make $35,000 want to make more money and will invest time, energy into just making more money. But in a relationship with God, he'll cause us to take inventory. And I'm not saying that wanting to make more money is a bad thing. But when it affects the way you spend your time to the point that it's taking away from your time with God, your purpose in life, that becomes an issue. When wanting to make more money means you can't come to church means you can't be in a small group, means you can't wake up and read your Bible, means you can't pray, means you're busy, 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 busy. How many of us feel busy? Okay, thank you for being real, because 99% of you, if I ask you how you're doing, you'll say, man, busy. It's our culture. These are things we have to evaluate, right? Like, think about it. Is Imagine asking Jesus, man, how you been? Oh, man, busy. I've been so busy, man, healing the sick, like causing recovery of sight to the blind. Man, raising the dead, been so busy. Ah, like I need a vacation. I need to hit like the Mediterranean. (laughs) But that's how a lot of us are living life because our society pushes us and demands it of us. And it's actually super countercultural to do what we talked about in the last message, which is slow your pace. You have to view time differently. Your life is going to look different. A life of holiness is going to look different. Man, Jesus, I don't know if you have noticed, but it, when, you, when you look at the life of Jesus, he wasn't rushing around. He wasn't in a hurry. He didn't allow the demands of people to dictate how he lived his life. But I want to ask you, are you allowing the demands of society, of social media? I mean, come on, let's be real. As you're looking at how other people live their lives, does that then become a demand on your life that now I got to travel? Now I got to make more money. Oh, this person bought a house. Now I have to buy a house. This person got a new car. Now I have to get a new house. Man, what am I doing with my life? 
and it becomes a demand on you. Oh man, this person's in a relationship. That becomes a demand. Now I have to be in a relationship. I have to get married. There's a demand on my life. We don't spend our money the same way that the rest of the world spends their money. That one's a challenge. But the reality is, God tells, God tells us to be generous, right? To give to the poor. How are we doing with that? How we spend our money is something that we have to take inventory on. Something I have to take inventory on all the time. Because it's easy to just go through the motions in life, right? And just take care of what you need in life and not necessarily go out of your way to do anything else. But generosity is a, is a core tenet of the kingdom of God. And you not being driven by the demands of the rest of the world will change how you spend your money. It should. But so many of us, I'm, man, I'm praying this frees so many people from like this constant drain and demand that we feel that I got to have this and I got to do this. And this has to, my money has to go here. My time has to go here. All this stuff, man. If you just look at the life of Jesus, things were so much more simple and it looked very different, but it was good. And God's desires for us are good. And if you look at the book of Proverbs, the wisest and richest man who ever lived, Solomon, Right? And then you look at the book of Ecclesiastes, also written by him. He talks about how all this stuff that you attain and acquire is meaningless. He said it's like chasing the wind. Imagine trying to chase the wind. You think you could catch it? You can't. And that's what he's saying all the things that we acquire trying to fulfill ourselves and, and meet these demands that the rest of the world seems to put on us, that's what it's like. Most of us have everything that we need, and yet we live our lives feeling so in lack God wants to fulfill us. God wants to provide for us. God has everything that we need. And he doesn't, want to, he doesn't want us to live our lives feeling in lack. I want us to look at this next thing that happens with Elijah after he, uh, after he gives this prophetic word. It says in, in verse 2 of chapter 17, it says, And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith which is east of the Jordan, you shall drink from the, book, from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And I laugh while I'm reading that because it sounds so crazy to me. Imagine if God told you to go live by the Chattahoochee River and drink from it, and I've commanded birds to bring you food. <laughs> like, that would be crazy. But this is the Bible. This is what God is saying he really did. 
So when we're talking about an authentic relationship with Christ uh, producing a life of holiness and not being separate and set apart and different, your life will look different when you're following Jesus. Jesus will have you do some things that are not normal. Like how you spend your time and your money. Like, yeah, go live outside. Outside? Living outside? Drinking out the river? And birds are about to bring me food like that they carried in their mouth? Or are they carrying it in their feet? Both are disgusting. <laughs> I would imagine even in ancient times that seemed nasty. But this is how God decided to do things. God commanded birds. You're talking about the king of the universe. He can speak to birds and be like, yeah, bring my boy some food. (laughs) Yeah, I've already taken care of it. I've commanded the ravens to feed you. But this, this is the guy who takes Mount Carmel and calls down fire from heaven, right? But it starts here. It starts with his life looking totally different and not pretty. Are you okay with your life looking completely different than what the world around you praises? Are you okay with that? That's a question to wrestle with, man. Myself included. We all have to ask this question like, man, how, how far am I willing to go for God? Like how uncomfortable am I willing to get Because he's guaranteeing that things will get weird. Things will get uncomfortable. That is life with Jesus. We lay down our way of doing things. We lay down our lives to follow him. And Elijah was willing to do that and yielded great results. Went through a lot of challenges, though. But at the end of the day, man, Elijah, Elijah didn't even die he was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire, ascended to heaven. Next time we see him is at the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus ascends a mountain, has Peter, James, and John with him to witness this. He ascends this mountain, is glorified, is radiant with glory. This is before he ever goes to the cross. This is like a glimpse into the glory of heaven. Jesus meets with Elijah and Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration. Imagine being the guy who was by the brook drinking out of a river and being brought food from birds, but you were just obedient. And now you're the guy meeting with the son of God coming down from heaven. But most of us, man, we want the end part. We want the end part. We want the glory. But we don't want our lives to look all that different. And Jesus said, in Luke 14, 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And he's saying, whoever's not willing to die to the way they live life can't be my disciple. A disciple is just an apprentice. It's just a, a follower. It's, some, it's a student. And it's somebody who's supposed to be like their master. And he's, um, your master's going to the cross. <laughs> if you're not willing to do that, you can't follow me because this is where I'm going. I'm laying down my life to receive a better life. But this is where I'm going. And he says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? 
whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. And that's what we see a lot. A lot of people start out strong in Christianity, and then they turn into the guy who fell, the girl who fell, the person who's gone way left field because they didn't actually want to die to themselves. So now they've turned their Christianity into this weird thing where really they're just following their own feelings and desires and calling it blessed by God and thus tainting Christianity in the eyes of a lot of people. But Jesus is saying in his eyes, Man, this is a person who gets mocked. Man, you started down this path and you didn't finish it. You should have counted the cost. You can't halfway do this. It's like halfway building a building. Imagine getting a house built and you only build half of it. It's foolish, but that's what he's saying our lives are like when we don't go all the way with him. When, we don't, when we're not willing to lay it all down and actually follow him, when we don't want our lives to look any different than the world around us, so we just act like everybody else and call ourselves a follower of Jesus. He's saying it looks foolish and it's actually laughable because it just looks wrong. He says, what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Like, I'm not trying to do this. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. These are things that we have to evaluate if you want to follow Jesus. Following Jesus will profit us greatly, but will cost us everything. Now, understand, to profit means you gain more than you gave up. You will profit following Jesus. He says, anybody who's given up anything for me will receive a hundredfold back to them in this life and the life to come. That's a pretty good deal. Whatever I give up, I get a hundredfold back. But most of us don't want to give up the things that are dear to us. And when he's saying you have to give things up, he's talking about the stuff that's normal in the rest of the world. How you conduct yourself, what you do with your body. How many of us are willing to abstain from sex until marriage to follow Jesus? Or we're like, nah, that's too costly. But we start down this path following Jesus and then we find ourselves with a half-built house. Man, our life is going to look very different. My life now following Jesus looks very different than prior to following Jesus. My life was just like the rest of the world. Even though I knew better, had great examples, but my own personal decisions was, hey, I kind of want to do what everybody else is doing. That seems appealing. But now following Jesus, man, our lives are, are going to look very different. And it comes at a high cost. The reward is way higher than anything you give up, but it's still a high cost. Second thing is an authentic relationship with Christ produces a life of obedience. And so God told Elijah 
to go drink from a brook and be fed by ravens. And the next thing is it says, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. So key word here is, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. Our life's going to look different and it's going to produce a life of obedience. How many of us have things that God has been asking us to do, telling us to do that we just haven't been doing? Half of them are just in the scriptures. It may not be some deep revelation that came to you in the middle of the night. It's just the scriptures. Like be slow to anger. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Bless those who curse you. Ooh, do you like that one? Bless those who curse you. Do we go and do it? It's difficult, man. Somebody's cursing you, turning up on you, giving you an attitude. Man, it's difficult. But we do these things because of the God before whom we stand. We obey. How are you doing in this area? Beautiful thing is we continually have opportunities as long as there's breath in our lungs, Life in our bodies, man, we can obey. You can obey. You can do what God is calling you to do. God wasn't just telling him to do random stuff because he had bad intentions for his life. He had the best intentions for Elijah. Elijah didn't know that he was going to get caught up in a chariot of fire and brought to heaven and not even experience death. Like who had that happen to them? Next person to ascend to heaven was Jesus himself. But before that, it was just, go here, do this. After that, it says that the the brook had dried up. And so where he called him to, circumstances changed. Because remember, he prophesied a drought in the land. So the drought was really happening. So the brook that he was drinking out of dried up. What happens when God did tell you to go here and you did obey? And now he's telling you to do something else. Says, then the word of the Lord came to him, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And this starts another beautiful story where this widow was actually out gathering stuff to build a fire to cook her and her son her last meal. Because of this drought, there was no food. There was no water. There was nothing for her. She was about to die. She said, I'm just about to cook up my last meal for me and my son and just eat the last meal before we die. And she ends up having food that doesn't run out for the next few years all throughout the drought because God sent Elijah there and Elijah obeyed. And notice how how God says he's commanded the widow to feed Elijah. 
But the widow was just out gathering sticks, thinking she was getting her last meal. She didn't even know what was going on. Sometimes it's not all clear in the moment, but God is working and we just have to obey. So she she was prompted to go do this and she did it. Elijah was prompted to go meet her and he did. Obedience is key to following Jesus. Jesus says, I only do what the father tells me to do. He wasn't out here rogue on his own accord, but even in the Godhead, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, there is a connection, a deference. There is submission and humility and one following the other is beautiful. It's built into the nature of God. So it's built into our nature that we're actually supposed to learn how to submit and follow and obey. And the last thing that I want to say is an authentic relationship with Christ produces a life of wholeness. So a life of holiness, a life of obedience, and a life of wholeness. All of this is for your good. God wants us to be whole. This is why Jesus came. To bind up the brokenhearted, he said. To heal. Salvation actually means healing. It's the same word. Healing and salvation are the same word all throughout the New Testament. The word salve is an ointment for healing. And this is what God describes the work of Jesus Christ doing for us. The forgiveness of our sins, the redemption of our lives, the saving of our souls is healing us, making us whole again. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace. I leave with you my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And all throughout scripture, this word peace actually refers to wholeness. It's not just a state of mind. It's not just being at ease, though it includes that, but it's just a state of being whole and complete and not lacking anything. David says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or I lack nothing, I'm whole. I have everything that I need. That's what peace is. That's what puts your mind at ease. But a lot of us are looking for peace in in all the wrong places. And we're at... uh, much higher levels of anxiety than than we ever have been in the past in all of human history because the way that the world does things is not the way that makes us whole. We get further and further from God and we get less and less whole. We're less and less at ease because we're not whole. We don't have everything that we need. We feel in a constant state of lack but God desires wholeness for us. In Judges 6.24, Gideon built an altar there, right? It says, Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. It's one of the names of God. All throughout scripture, you'll see, you know, I don't know if you guys have heard the different names of God, right? Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. You, you, Jehovah Nisi, like you hear all these names, but they came about through people's experiences with God. And it's like, wow, this is the Lord who provides. This is the Lord who heals. This is the Lord 
<laughs> my righteousness. This is the Lord, my banner, the Lord, my victory. And Gideon finds that the Lord is his peace. The Lord is peace. God himself is peace. He is wholeness. He is what makes me whole. He is what fulfills me. Ephesians 2.14 says, for he himself is our peace. He himself. It is God himself that is our wholeness. He is what makes us complete. He is who makes us complete. That's what God desires for us. And an authentic relationship with Jesus will produce all these things in our lives. And Jesus knew that, and so he prayed over us. In, in John 17, going back to John 17, about us not being in the world, about the Father keeping us, and then he talks about what the goal of it all is. He says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, as he's talking to the Father. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. He was talking about Judas. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. All this was coming down to Jesus wanting us to have joy fulfilled in ourselves. Jesus wants us to be holy. Jesus wants us to be obedient, but the goal is our wholeness and for us to have joy. Does anybody want a joyful life? It's not found in chasing things. Jesus says life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. It doesn't. Though the rest of society tells you to chase the next thing and you're in need of this next thing in order to have joy, it's not found in the next thing. It's not found in the next person. It's not found in anything outside of Jesus, the Lord who is peace. He is our wholeness. And he extends this to us. And ever since, he, man, Jesus said this, he prayed this in front of his disciples and for his disciples who had been walking with him for years as he was about to go to the cross and do the most life-changing work in all of history. And he prayed this so that we would have joy fulfilled, so that we would be one, so that we would understand the love of God. And then around this same time, this is, Jesus has a, a supper with these disciples and he talks about remembering because the Lord is our peace. He is our wholeness. He wants us to be whole. He wants us to have joy fulfilled, but he knows that sometimes, man, we get distracted. We get lost in the noise. We get lost in the nonsense. We get tired. We get weary. But when we remember his love, it brings us back to him. And so some of you guys, as you were coming in here, all of you guys should have received some communion elements. And I wanted us to take communion tonight as a reminder for us to remember. He said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And this was a command from Jesus to take communion because we need to be reminded that he is our peace. He is our wholeness in the busyness of life. 
in the demands of life, in the disappointments of life. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And this is one of the ways that we take heart. This is one of the ways that we take courage as we remember the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, which was 100% for us to be united with him and to have peace. And so he said on that night, says he took bread. This is the last supper he's having with his disciples. He took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so I want you to take out the bread. I want you to break the bread and understand that Jesus equates this to his body. He was giving a picture of what was taking place. And if you're watching online, man, if you have any communion elements, if you have any bread, crackers, anything like that, man, it's, it's, it's symbolic. We would love for you guys to join us in this. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He wanted to understand. He wanted them to understand what was about to take place. And he wanted us to understand and remember his love for us. He sacrificed his body, which was beaten and broken for us to pay the price for our sins when he died on a cross in a place called Calvary, paying the price for our sins. He says that by his stripes, what he was beaten, he was beaten until there were stripes on his back. Cat of nine tails, it says by his stripes in Isaiah 53, by his stripes, we are healed. We're made whole. And so I want us to take of the bread, remembering the wholeness that Jesus has promised. Then he took the cup. He took the cup and he said, this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. This cup is poured out for you. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And I meant to say this when we started, but this is a, this is something for those of us who are followers of Jesus. And if you want to become a follower of Jesus, I invite you to listen in in this moment, to understand that this is real. This really took place and this really matters for all of humanity. He said, this, this cup represents my blood, which is a new covenant for you. Covenants were agreements, lifelong agreements that were sealed in blood. And he was saying, that God is making a new agreement with all of humanity. And the blood that is about to be poured out on the cross is actually establishing a new agreement for you and God, that the price that I'm about to pay, the punishment that I'm about to take is actually gonna bring you peace. Isaiah 53 says the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. So he was punished so that we could have peace. He was punished so that we could have wholeness by paying the price for our sins. Scripture also says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You and I, we've sinned, but Jesus Christ gave his life to pay the price so that we don't have to be beat up about it, so that we don't have to be condemned for it, so that we don't have to spend an eternity in hell paying the price for our sins. But Jesus came to pay the price and offer us eternal life. And so if that is something that you receive, I want us to take of the cup, remembering what Jesus did for us by his blood.
we're about to go into a, a time of worship. And I wanna, pr- I, I wanna pray a prayer first, but we're gonna go into a time of worship where we have an opportunity to just evaluate, man, our relationship with Jesus. Man, a life of uh, a relation, an authentic relationship with Christ is gonna produce obedience. It's gonna produce, uh, what was the first point? <laughs> Holiness, right? Holiness, obedience, and wholeness. This is a beautiful thing. But I know that not everybody listening online, not everybody in here might already have a relationship with Jesus. And I wanted to extend that opportunity to you for you to know and then continually remember what Jesus has done for you and the relationship that he extends to you. One that ultimately is to make you whole and to heal you. And so if you are in here today and you are saying, man, I want a relationship with Jesus Christ in your own heart, if you are genuinely saying, hey, I want a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to know that this is a moment that you can start that. And for each and every person who maybe has been distant, who's been maybe on the fence, who's been living in the gray area, who hasn't counted the cost, who hasn't laid their lives down, but is saying, no, I wanna lay my life down and I wanna do this for real. I want an authentic relationship with Jesus, not a surface level one. I wanna invite you to make a decision today to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, to be an apprentice, a student of Jesus, for him to be your master, your teacher, your God, your friend. For you to have an authentic relationship with him. And so if that's you today, I want to pray for you. And I want you to pray this prayer. You don't necessarily, we don't have to repeat it all out loud. We do that sometimes. There's nothing wrong with it. But I I want this to just be an intimate moment for us. To where you're not trying to think about saying the words and all that stuff. But I want you to let this wash over you. And I want you to come into agreement in your heart. Because that's what it's about, man. We We can say stuff. And the Bible does say if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that the Lord is your savior, then you'll be saved, right? That Jesus Christ has died for your sins. So confessing with your mouth is important. And I want you to do that. But it doesn't have to be this thing, right? I want this to be an intimate moment with us and God. And so I wanna pray this prayer. Father, I thank you for each and every person listening right now who is being drawn in their hearts to you, God. Lord, we know that this is a sacred and special moment that we would encounter you, the God of all creation, the God of the universe, the God who sits enthroned above the heavens and the earth, Jesus Christ who sits enthroned above the heavens, who sits enthroned above every name that can be invoked, every rule and authority, every power, every dominion, every person on this earth. You said that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But you extend an invitation right now, drawing on our hearts to be in relationship with you. You wanna walk with us, Lord. And I thank you for each and every person, Lord, who's making a decision today to follow you, Lord, I ask that you would help us to really walk this out, Lord. 
Not to just pray a prayer in a moment, not to just repeat some words, not to be peer pressured into anything, Lord, but I pray that life-changing decisions would be made right now. Trajectories would be shifted and changed, Lord, that we would have a group of young adults here who are sold out for you, Lord, who are not for purchase by the enemy, who cannot be bought, who cannot be changed, Lord, who cannot be plucked out of your hand. Lord, you said that we can offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, in response to you already offering yourself as a sacrifice for us. And Lord, I pray that real work would be being done in people's hearts right now, God. We bind every attack of the enemy, Lord, and we take authority over every spiritual attack over every lie that would try to creep in and say this isn't real or don't do it or you'll never change or you can't do this. Every temptation that would try to keep in, we silence it right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, and we just pray that you would help us to hear your voice in the midst of all of this, Lord. That you would settle the tensions in our hearts, that you would settle the anxieties and the tensions in our minds. Lord, and that we would be able to make a clear and sound decision to just follow you and to do what it takes to get in community with other believers, to walk with humility, to open our Bible and give you an opportunity to speak to us, that we would seek you and want to know your ways, that we would seek your heart, God, that we would want to know you. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to the gift that it is to know you, There is nothing more precious, there's nothing more valuable on this planet than knowing you, hearing your voice, experiencing your presence. We are designed for this, God, so help us to desire it. You said that it is your spirit that works in us to even desire you, and you give us the power to obey you. So right now we pray for the desire to obey you, Lord, and the power to do so. And for every person who's wanting to make a decision, I just invite you to pray this prayer along with me. You don't have to do it super loud, but pray it earnestly. Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God, that you came to earth for me, that you did live a perfect life, that you were blameless and sinless and you offered your perfect life for my imperfect life. That you paid the price for my sins and then you rose from the grave and showed that you have the power over death, you have power over sin. And so I believe you have the power to save me, God. So I put my life in your hands and I trust you that you know what to do with it. I turn from my old way of life. I've counted the cost and I'm willing to pay with my life to receive your eternal life. I make you the leader of my life. And I thank you that you're the savior of my soul. I will follow you into eternity. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I just pray for each and every person here. Lord, as we go into a time of worship, Lord, that true connection would take place. Lord, that we would connect with you in our hearts. 
Lord, that we would count the days, Lord, that we, you would say, Lord, you said that you would teach us to number our days so that we would have a heart of wisdom. Lord, help us to value this time, treasure this time that we'll, that we'll never get back. Lord, help us to not hold back in this time, to not say, well, at some point I'll lift my hands. At some point I'll worship God. At some point I'll sing out. At some point I'll stop sinning. At some point I'll do this and that. Lord, help us to lay it down, to value the time, to know that tomorrow's not promised and sufficient are the troubles of today. So Lord, help us to give ourselves to you fully today, watching online, in the building, Lord, giving ourselves fully to you and expressing our love to you in worship. In Jesus' name, let's worship. Hey, thank you for listening. We're so glad to have you as a part of our community. If you want to get connected any further, please visit fusionatl.org. You can get plugged into a small group there, and you can also send in a prayer request so that we can pray for you. Once again, thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part of Fusion ATL.